Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sheila Shoiga and welcome to Ready to Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort or simply entertain you. In this episode, I speak to the phenomenal Deborah Samarin. When I went in to care when I was um, about 13, that's when I would have gone into a homeless hostel for the first time. Um, and it was a nighttime only hostel, which means, I don't know if you've ever seen The Pursuit of Happiness, but you yeah. know the way they have to like go to the hospital in the evening and they're not guaranteed in the morning, like the same bed, That it was pretty much that. So you get dropped off there at night and then in the morning you have to get out. And it's for kid, it was for kids as young as like 12, right? I was 13 at the time and nobody cares where you go. No one's dropping you off to a school or anything like that. You're just out. And and where were you going? I had nowhere to go. You're literally supposed to just wander the streets of Dublin for the day until you ring back the hostel and try and get your place that night. Deborah, or Debbie as she's better known as, has experienced so much in her life that it was actually hard to fit it into one conversation. She was in and out of care homes from a very young age. At 13, she became homeless. And at 14, she found out she was pregnant. In this conversation, we hear about the complicated relationship she had with her mother and the reality of years spent in care. But we also hear about the people who helped her along the way to achieve more in life than she ever knew was possible. Today, she's a management consultant, a qualified chartered accountant and the founder of Empower the Family Ireland, a non-profit that helps single parents further their education. And of course, she's also mother to Liam, who's now 13. She's just released two books, her memoir, Believing in Me, and her children's book, I Believe in You. And at only 29, this is just the beginning for her. I was trying to think as I was making my way to the studio, like, where do we begin with the conversation? Because you have so much to talk about and you have been, you've been through so much in your life. Um, But I know the overriding feeling from 
reading the book. It's really a sense of of overcoming and how transformative your life has been, which is so inspiring. So I'm so looking forward to getting into this conversation. Let's start with um, when you came to Ireland as a kid. I think you were around 10. Yeah, I was 10 at the time. Um, So I moved to Ireland after my parents split up. Um, Quite traumatising experience, even with them splitting up, because my mum had actually kidnapped the kids, essentially, from school um, and put them on a flight to Ireland. And it was a year later that I joined them um, in Ireland. So I hadn't seen my siblings and I hadn't really been allowed to talk to them um, for a year. Can you explain that? So you're the eldest in your family. I'm the oldest, yeah. So I've... At the time, I had two younger siblings when we lived in Nigeria. So my parents were splitting up um, and, you know, things didn't go very well. So at one point, we were living with my dad because my mom couldn't afford to have us live with her. And my dad wasn't giving her any money to support us. So we had to move back with my my dad, which was his plan, right? Because again, in in that sort of patriarchal society, that's how things happen. Mm -hmm. And then you get the wife to come back through that. But... I suppose his family was also interfering and didn't want them to get back together. So that didn't make things very easy. So right. essentially they stayed split up. Um, my mom somehow managed to save enough money to buy plane tickets to take the kids because she knew if she stayed there, she just had no chance. Um, so the kids were at school one day and it was weirdly a day that I had gotten really, really ill. Um, I had a, like really bad stomach pains. So I'd gotten a really bad dose of food poisoning um, from these like sausage rolls that are sold on the street and I'd never eaten them before like I'd always been like never want to buy them but they're in traffic and one day I just decided to eat them anyways so I'd gotten really really sick and I'd been rushed to hospital and the kids went to school and my mum showed up at the school and my dad had we weren't allowed to see my mum at that time so my dad had said if she comes to school give me a call don't let her leave with the kids and um at the time he was away in Abuja for business which is pretty far away Mm. um you have to take a flight there essentially it's another part of, of Nigeria. So anyways, um, she came to the school and um, she wouldn't leave without the kids. Obviously, the other parents had to take their children home. So eventually it wasn't sustainable to just keep her there. Um, so she left. My dad was thinking, fine, OK, you know, she'll probably back, you know, with the kids. But she went straight and, and got on a plane to to Dublin. And she was actually pregnant at the time. And I didn't know. So there was this gorgeous little baby that I never got to meet um initially as well which was which is quite sad for me um so at this stage your your mum and your siblings are gone yeah and you're in hospital yeah yeah it was horrible it was actually horrible especially like me and my brother are Irish twins so we spent two months of the year literally the same age like we were so close as kids um I remember we'd all play Power Rangers I'd be like the yellow one he'd be the blue one my sister would be the pink one you know we we were really really close so that was that was quite tough to be um apart from them and I don't I, I would be lying to you if I think if I said our relationship ever fully recovered to be completely honest with you and we've definitely never been as close as we were pre um being separated mm. but um I wasn't also allowed to speak to them uh, very much during that year that they were gone but I suppose something I I think personally that my dad just got sick of being a single dad he wanted to be single and wanted to be able to have all the women over and that wasn't necessarily the easiest thing when you're you have a nine-year-old child um who very much did not want to use their mom um around and I think he just got sick of being a single dad and he decided to 
he, he told me we were coming here for a holiday actually um, to see my, my mum and dad see my, my mum and my siblings and I was delighted um, I was obviously delighted to meet my little brother and see my, my other brother and my sister again and then when we were here he told me that we weren't going home mm. I was staying there with my mum and of course I was really really happy to be with my siblings but I was also very cautious of the fact that growing up me and my mum had butted heads right and my dad had been my protector so being hit wasn't alien to me but the fact that my dad would generally be there to put a stop to it before it got really really bad that was something I was used to so that was the thing I was worried about but things were going really well at this point and everything was fine nobody was hitting me and and so okay I had no choice in the matter anyways I was staying there um so that that was that was my move to Ireland initially we lived in Nice um and so your dad your dad and your mum had separated was he hoping that there might be some kind of a reconciliation at this point or was it simply he was he was he was bringing you back to your mum and your he was bringing me back to my mum yeah okay so that's that's a lot going on there isn't there yeah huge sense of abandonment and um yeah a hundred percent like there's that level of abandonment with someone that you're so close to like your closest parent but then obviously what came later in terms of constantly moving care homes it's very much left me with this um i never want to depend on anyone you know fiercely independent Um, absolutely um i always want to stand on my own two feet so i suppose that's the that's the positive out of it um but it definitely affects in terms of relationships. You know, I'm really, really terrified to date people because I'm really scared that they'll leave and I'll be really, really sad. So yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting one, but it was positive at least initially. Um, but my mom, she'd been suffering with depression even before she'd moved to Ireland. Um, she was locking herself in her room for weeks on end. So when we moved here and she was on her own, even more so she didn't have her mum that could help with babysitting or anything. Um, and yeah, things are, are very, very different over there. You very much have people that can help out. I'd always be in a neighbours or something, you know. But when we were here, you don't have that sense of community anymore. You don't have, you don't, you don't know people. You haven't grown up around people and she didn't have any family around. And she had four kids, 10 and under with yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. So things deteriorated massively. Um, and she started staying in her room for weeks on end again. I used to say it was like a special occasion if my mum picked us up from school. It was like a routine. Me and my brother and sister would drop my baby brother off at crash and then my sister off in her class and then we'd go off to school. So that was that was always the way things were. So when you, when you came to Ireland with your dad, was it a was it a was it a good surprise for your mum or was what was that reaction like when when that was when you guys were reunited? I. Th- Knowing my mum, I really feel that it was because my dad had had not let me speak to her for so long. He was really, really angry with her. Mm. And I think that she hid her own feelings at the time. She she just wanted to play nice so she could get me back. Right. She wanted all of her kids. So at the time, there was no fighting between them. You know, they right. were they were very much pretending like everything was normal and my mum very much so and that's not like my mum at all she does not like keep her feelings hidden yeah. um, especially given you know she she left initially because she thought my dad was disrespecting her and possibly cheating on her so 
that's not something I would expect them to be super friendly about unless my mum was trying to just play nice to get me back and make sure he didn't take me back with him. Mm-hmm. And I, he's the sort of person that would absolutely, um, if she had, you know, made trouble, take me back out of spite. You know, that's just the sort of relationship that they had. Okay. So I, I do believe that she she was playing nice at that time to make sure that my dad kept me here um, and left me here. Yeah. And you said that, you know, she it sounds like she was really troubled. She was somebody who I just get the feeling from what I've heard you speak of before in reading the book that she had a lot of demons. So many demons. Um, Not only was she dealing with depression, which is a horrible illness, which we didn't know that much about. It's not the same now where there's like ads everywhere and you you'd know maybe from even just seeing posters, right? Someone's staying in the room all day. The way that she was behaving is, is going through a serious mental health issue. But she was also diagnosed with fibromyalgia. So, which is, it's essentially a, a disease that affects your muscles and it's really painful. Okay. So she was also in like constant pain. Physical pain as Constant well. physical pain. Right. So she would sometimes have a neck brace or a cane that she would actually need to walk around with because she was in so much pain and she was taking so much medication so she she was I think that she she was trying her best mm-hmm. as best as she could I think she was an incredible person we definitely got much closer after I had my son which is why it, it upsets me so much because if we'd left things the way things had been where we had continued butted heads it it would have been a different, a, a, a different, I suppose, um, yeah, different feeling about it all. But the, because we were getting so close after I had my son, when she did pass away, it was it was horrible because I just feel like we could have had a whole longer relationship. We could have had a normal mother daughter relationship. I feel, um, and even this thing of my dad being my protector, to give you context of how this completely changed after I had my son. My mum was now my protector. So I had my, I given birth to my son and in the hospital, I I decided I was going to bottle feed, right? I was so young. I, I didn't really. See your um, judgment here. Sorry, but yeah. So I made the decision I was going to bottle feed. Yes. And my dad came, my dad's very old school. My dad's like in his 80s now. Um, so he came um, storming up to the hospital room, like you're breastfeeding that child. He's going to have brain damage if you don't breastfeed him. Like very, very traditional nonsense. Oh, right. okay. And my mum was like, no, 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 things are different now. Let her, let her bottle feed. That's okay. And that had never happened previously where <laughs> like yeah. my dad was the person who was giving out to me and my mum was the person who was standing up for me. So we, we very much learned to, to, there was a new part of our relationship that grew a new level of understanding but she at that stage she was just she was so sad she was so tired and things had happened um where she I I don't really understand why but essentially had to move back into a direct provision hostel and I'd been living in hostels for a number of years this is after I think there was a change in law at some point um so people who were seeking sort of um that that sort of status lead to remain initially could get rent allowance and then there was a law change and then they had to go back to direct provision so that had been really hard for her as well because I don't know I think she felt like she'd failed all of us you know um so yeah she 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 was someone who was going through quite a lot and I think I think 
I carried a lot of guilt for a really long time, especially after she died, that, you know, I might have somehow contributed to that because I went into care. Um, and, and felt like I brought hassle and more trouble to her life. Um, even though I know it wasn't safe there, and I don't know what the the right thing was there, but the more I think about it, the more I just think that I wish we had some sort of family counselling or something to just help us understand each other better. Um, so that I could go back home with my mum. Um, I could, she, she could maybe look after me better. I don't know if that's possible. Maybe that's just fairy tale land and wishful thinking, but it's, you obviously wish you, you spent more time with your mum, you know, especially as you get older and your child grows older, you just want to have, have a mum that you can pick up the phone and, and chat to about anything. Um, so yeah. We've only been talking a short time and, um, what's really strikes me about you is your scope from, for compassion and understanding is, far greater than majority of people, I think, because when I've read what you had to endure in terms of your relationship with your mother and um, I'm not here to to comment, it's not my place and it's 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 I have, I have zero right to do that. But after everything that you went through and, 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 the, and the physical aspect of your relationship and how, you know, at times she would beat you um, I suppose I would I would it would be understandable that there might maybe some residue there, but it seems like you just have such a massive heart and that you feel for her so deeply in terms of everything she was dealing with. And you're still only what, 29, 29. There's a wisdom in you that is far beyond your years that really. We all need to get better at understanding other people and their motivations and and get to that place of compassion that you clearly are at, which is, um, which really is something. I think it's one of those things where, and I was even telling my little brother about this because he was upset about something. When you carry that kind of hate in your heart, nothing good comes out of it. Mm. So the true years and years of therapy, that's what has come out of it, right? Is learning to try and understand somebody else's point of view, try and empathize with that person so that I'm not angry, I'm not upset. Um, and that I'm able to try and understand where she was coming from and, and how she was feeling and, and why she she treated me that way. Um, yeah. Were you her punch bag? Yeah, absolutely. Um, she took her frustrations out on me, absolutely. Um, I remember one time where I'd actually, my social worker was with me and I'd gone home to um, pick up some clothes. And this is what I mean in terms of the frustration, you know, um, it was obviously really sad that she didn't have her daughter, um, but I was walking out the front door and she grabbed me by the hair and whacked my head off the radiator in front of the social worker. And the social worker just ran and got into her car. <laughs> and I had to just try and like fight my way through and, and get like struggle to get out. Um, the social worker left. <laughs> she ran and got into the car. The social care worker did. Whoa, um, right. So it was just because, you know, in that instant she was trying to, she didn't know if my mom was going to attack her too. So um, her her instant was to, was to get into the car. And so, what age are you at this stage? Oh, probably about 12. Um, okay. So... It was, I, I can I can understand, like for her, she was just like, why are you not staying? Like, how can you do this to me? Why are you leaving? And she didn't understand. I don't know. It just wasn't 
the her hurting me was only going to make me not come home you know um was only going to keep me away longer and I think after that things became a lot harder for my mum to be able to get me back you know um because they they'd actually witnessed it as opposed to seeing scars you know yeah so you were in and out of foster care yeah and in and out of care different care environments yeah so um the way that it works well for for me and, and generally a lot of my other friends that um, I grew up with in care like they do try and put you back with your parents right it's not to they're not trying to keep kids take them away once and, and never put them back they're always trying to put them back but it's not that you go to family counselling work through your issues and they're like oh yeah everything's good it's the way that I would describe it is if you're meeting like middle class standards right you're getting up you're keeping the house clean you're taking the kids to school ticking the box right she's ready for you to go home kind of right, thing okay so um and I wanted to go home you know I didn't like being in strangers houses I wasn't always necessarily safe when I was in care so I, I very much wanted to go home so I I was I'd been a number of emergent nobody ever knew how long I'd been in care for so they'd get like emergency care places which might would be like two weeks three weeks maybe a month if I was really lucky and then and nobody would tell you that you would someone would just social worker would just show up one day and ask you to pack your stuff and ask you to move to the extent that like even in my own house I'm there 11 years and there's still things I haven't unpacked it's like I'm waiting for someone to come and say I have to move um when you really started decorating in the last couple of years now that I just uh feel settled there but anyways um well I mean god that, that I would imagine that makes complete sense when you've had that that lack of stability that lack of an anchor in your life in 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 those key years like you know you're you're going from being a child to being a young woman your body is changing you know all the hormones that go with it and you don't have a place to call home you don't have a safe haven no you don't even have people that you necessarily you don't know I remember the first time I even just something small like first time I got my period you yeah. know um and I was in a new foster home and I didn't really know this woman and I didn't know what to do, I didn't know how to tell her, I didn't know how to ask for whatever I needed. So it's just little things like that that you, I don't know that being, like it's definitely fantasizing it that being at home might have been a better experience, but it's obviously really sad that I didn't have someone that was familiar to me to go through that with, you know? Um, sorry. So yeah, so moved quite a lot um, and I'd go back home and then I'd go back into care again and then I'd move back home. And when I went in to care when I was um, about 13, that's when I would have gone into a homeless hostel for the first time. Um, and it was a nighttime only hostel, which means, I don't know if you've ever seen the pursuit of happiness, but yeah. you know, the way they have to like go to the hospital in the evening and they're not guaranteed in the morning like the same bed that it was pretty much that so you get dropped off there at night and then in the morning you have to get out and it's for kids it was for kids as young as like 12 right I was 13 at the time and nobody cares where you go no one's dropping you off to a school or anything like that you're just out and and where were you going I had nowhere to go you're literally supposed to just wander the streets of Dublin for the day until you ring back the hostel and try and get your place that night so Thankfully for me, I suppose one thing they do have is that a social worker or someone from Focus Ireland, which they essentially um, outsource to sometimes to support these services, someone would um, meet you during the day to give you like food vouchers, check you were okay, that kind of thing, if they could get a hold of you, right? So, um, yeah. so 
thankfully this woman came to meet me that morning, right? Um, because this is my first time ever going through anything like this. And the woman is from Focus Ireland, her name was Shelley. And I don't know why, like I couldn't tell you why. I'm sure she'd met many kids like me or or maybe not, I don't know. But I lived in Nace up until this point. So very much coming up to Dublin was a really big deal and absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Um, I don't know if she sensed that in me or what it was. She was trying to, she was explaining the situation to me that, you know, she was just meeting me initially. And then in the, in the evening, I'd need to call a hostel and things like that. I don't know if she saw that I was terrified by that concept, but she took pity on me and she let me stay in their offices during the day. Um, and, and she would wait with me until I could go back to my hostel and call the hostel and secure my bed like every single night and walk me back to my hostel and pick me up every morning. Like she had her own job and many other cases I'm sure she had to deal with. But I'm really, really thankful to her for that because I just remember it was cold, you know, yeah. and I was really, really thankful to have somewhere warm to go. Well, I'm only imagining now because like, you're you're sitting in front of me as a 29 year old woman. But as a 13 year old girl, like you're so young, you're so, like that's the age your son is now. Yeah, which is terrifying. It must be str- strange to yeah. try and imagine what you had already gone through in your life at that age. And I know from everything I've heard and how you speak, you speak about your son, like he's your everything. Um, you know, the like you're still, even though we think when we're 13 that, you know, we're so mature, but we're, we're not. We're, we're kids. We're, we're still babies. babies. Yeah, he's my baby. He absolutely, I can't imagine for one second him going through anything yeah. like that because he wouldn't, he wouldn't even know what to do. He's, he's just a baby. Um, you had to grow up so fast. Yeah. Yeah, you do. You have to. And the way that I describe it is like you're an autopilot. You just have to keep going. Um, I suppose... I, you know, I was even saying to my brother due today, like if any of us had turned out to be drug addicts, I don't think anyone would blame us after everything we'd gone through, yeah. to be completely honest with you. Um, and thankfully, somehow we've we, we've all been OK. And at different times, you know, especially after my mum passed away, I had to kind of take on a mothering role for them. I had to make sure I was looking after them. I had to make sure that they were looked after, whether it was hospital appointments or getting on to doctors or getting on to social workers to make sure that they were well cared for and the things that they needed were provided to them. I had to step up and do that. So yeah, it's it's definitely you have to grow up a lot quicker. And I think to, to a certain extent, maybe now a bit more, as my son is getting a bit older and a little bit more independent, I'm weirdly getting to live little bits of my childhood. So like for my 24th, I had a unicorn party. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and everyone, and I like, I've just been obsessed with unicorns and everyone got me something unicorn themed and no matter what it was, I loved it, you know? Brilliant. And everyone was on board with it. Nobody thought it was weird. Everyone thought it was cute. So it is <laughs> cute. It's good. It's adorable. And why not? <laughs> so yeah. So in a, in a weird way, I'm, I'm, I'm finding ways to catch up on my childhood in my adulthood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because you, you, it was robbed. It was taken from you. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, it could have gone a lot worse um, is is what I, I very much know and I'm very much aware of. And I'm, I'm so thankful to the people who who looked after me and who helped me um, when I was in situations where it could have gone worse. Like, for example, that homeless hostel is one. But then the other example is, you know, when I was even in a different homeless hostel, then I got placed in another one that was just for girls. And I didn't want to go to school like I was I. I'd be going to school, everyone's talking about their holidays to Spain, their Paul's boutique bags, and I'm going to a place there's 
bars on the windows in the kitchen. The kitchen is locked at a certain time. We got two fifty pocket money, two euro fifty pocket money. There was no sense that we were, I could ever save up. It would take me like a hundred years to save up for a ball boutique bag at that time. Yeah. So it was depressing. I didn't want to be going to school. And this incredible woman, um, again from from a charity that was helping me at the time, Focus Ireland, Margaret. She set up a star chart system for me, and it was the only way you could have got me to go to school because it was really hard to. It still is really frustrating um, to get makeup for dark skin. So you can't just go to the uh, pharmacy and pick up something for 10 euro. So you could only really at the time get it in like Brown Thomas under like Mac counters or or Bobby Brown. They're like 35 euro for each one. So the only way you could get me to go to school, she set up a star chart. If I went to school every day for three months, I'd actually get a piece of my favorite makeup at the end. And that was literally the only way you could have got me to go to school um, at the time. And I'm so thankful to her. Very smart woman. I'm very thankful to her because a lot of kids just with all of the disruption and things like that, drop out of school and will stop going to school for maybe a year or two years. And by the time they're somewhere more stable, they've missed two years of school. So then you're talking about someone who's 14 going into sixth class, right? Which won't make much sense. Then they end up looking at alternative options and then yeah. they don't get to finish their education. So it's it's something I'm very thankful to those people who, who did intervene um, at those times. Yeah. So you're... You're still managing to go to school, um, but I know you're you're moving all the time. You know, there's no stability. And as you, you said, you said the word there, you know, I didn't always feel safe. So I'm not going to probe, but I, I would imagine there were there were situations where, you know, that feeling that we should all that everybody's entitled to have, regardless what age they are, that feeling of sanctuary and safety in your own home. You, you, you unfortunately you didn't have that not always no. you didn't have that always no. um then you 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 found out you were pregnant yeah um and thankfully at the time i had moved into a home where i felt safe Good. um in Drumcondra and um i called it disneyland when i like talked about it not because there was anything special about it it was just a normal house and a normal housing estate but for a really really long time that was what I wanted, yeah. just a normal, a normal home. And um, I ended up uh, getting pregnant when I was 14. And when you're in care, m- mothers and babies weren't allowed to stay in the same home as other mainstream children, right? Just individual kids in care. Um, I'm really sorry to use the term, but it's just, it was still what they were called yeah. in the care system was yeah. mother and baby homes is, is where kids in care who had babies had to move into Mm. and I didn't really know what was going on behind the scenes to be completely honest with you but essentially there was nowhere for me to go there wasn't even a mother and baby home for me to go to but I'd also heard really scary stories about what they were like in terms of not getting any support and the first time you screw up your baby's taken off you which is terrifying for a parent at any any new parent at at any any age age, absolutely you know um to feel like you're going to be under a microscope it's so hard but I can imagine for a so you were 14 I think you were were you 15 actually having Liam 15 actually 15 come on like you're still and, and with everything that you're you know dealing with and having to contend with you're probably operating on a almost like a you're probably are you in fight or flight a lot of the time am I imagining that correctly you're not even you're just autopilot like I can't say to you did you shut off emotions a bit kind of yeah you kind of like when people say like how did you not realize how far you'd come until like years and years like I wasn't I don't even know how I did it I can't tell you how I did it because it must have been so hard (laughs) to Mm. do my leaving cert with a crying baby to do each one of my exams with a crying with a child you know obviously wanting attention and and things like that and then to do 
you know, go into audition, work those really long hours. But I was genuinely an autopilot. I just kept going because that was what I had to do. And it was also this kind of thing of, I didn't know that I could actually do it. So I didn't really believe that I was going to become a chartered accountant. I kept thinking at some point I'm going to fail because I'm too stupid to do this. And that's going to be the end of it. But I'm going to keep trying because this is what I need to do. This is my best chance at providing a really good life for my kid. So you're just keep going and keep going and keep going because you know what the alternative could be. If I wasn't able to provide for him, if I wasn't able to get a good job and, and get that education. So you just keep going. That was That's all I can really say about it. But I definitely did not have my emotions fully turned on. I definitely didn't think about the things that had happened in my okay. life. It was a coping probably. You, ha- you, had, you had to, to kind of shut, shut it off. off. When you say that you, you thought, you, you know, you wouldn't succeed, that it wouldn't happen. Is that because that was ingrained in you or is that simply because of the turmoil, the upheaval, the the instability of your life that that you felt it's not going to work out for me? There's It was a combination of factors. One, I was always very weirdly focused on statistics, right? So statistics for teen single moms that were black, didn't know a lot of them that went on to become chartered accountants, right? Especially ones that were raised in care. So that was a big thing in terms of visibility. Who the hell did I think I was? If people were doing this en masse, I would know, right? I'm just getting so many goosebumps now because this is why it's so important that you're speaking because you are such a source of inspiration for so many people and anyone listening to this conversation or anyone that needs to hear this conversation, you will become such a massive role model to them. Anyway, I didn't mean to cut across you, but that's why it's so important because you didn't have that. Thank you. I didn't didn't and I wish I did. I really, really wish. I really, really wish I had someone I could look up to and go, right, she did it. She did it. I can do it, you know? Um, So there was that side of things. But then there's the other side of things of... (laughs) People didn't necessarily believe I could do it. My social worker didn't necessarily believe I could do it. So I really had to fight for a lot of things because they didn't think they're like, why would we bother like supporting you in college? Because you're probably not going to be able to last anyways with a kid. Or even in school, my math teacher one day pulled me out of class when I was in fifth year and said, you should think about doing fourth year because you're probably not going to do your leaving cert because you have a kid. It didn't come from a place of malice. It came from a place of experience and that experiencing experience biasing their views of what other people could achieve. And I suppose that's the other reason I wrote this book, which is one good adult can have a huge impact in someone's life. If I'd let that way of thinking influence me, if I wasn't able to go home and tell my social care workers what I'd heard in school and and them tell me, She's abs- she doesn't know what she's talking about. You yeah. can do anything you want to do if you put your mind to it. And you just have to keep going and keep going. If I hadn't had that, then that would have affected me. I would have gone, yeah. right, I should do the practical thing. This adult knows the right thing. She has experience in this space. I should do fourth year, go do LCA, something like that. Um, something easy and then like go and do something easy where I can just start earning money straight away when I when I get a job, when I leave school. But that wouldn't have been the right thing for my, me and my son in the long term. I, I wanted to be able to provide a really, I wanted him to need for nothing. Yeah. I wanted him to have a nice, safe environment, a, a nice, lovely childhood. And that's what I've been able to provide him. And, and I'm so, so thankful to all of the people that helped me along the way so that I could do that for him. And it is it's starting a new generation for us, right? Because even statistically in, in Ireland, if you have a, ch- a parent that goes to college, you are statistically more likely to go to university. So it's just starting a new a new chain there. And, and that's very much the the impact I'm hoping to have with something like this. Like when I went to college, I was one of the only kids in my class to even to go to college, right? I don't know anybody else who went straight to college after I finished school. 
And some of my friends would actually say to me, Debbie, I feel really sorry for you having to do exams because for them, nobody in their family had ever gone to university before. This wasn't a path for them. We went to, our school was beside DCU. It was something you walked through to get home. It wasn't something that they saw as being for them, you know? So it's trying to create role models in that way of saying, this is absolutely for you. All you have to do is put your mind to it. And this is what, what the outcome is. Listening to you speak, it sounds like, you know, you and Liam and your family, the way it is now, is a fresh start. Yeah. You're letting go of the old ways. Yeah. The way it was done. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's no longer going to carry forward into the next generation. Absolutely. That's powerful. I hope you know, so. when you break the lines, because I, I like I'm 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 fascinated by the idea and I really believe in it, this generational ancestral behaviors that are handed down and often we do things and we don't even know why we do things. We don't question it. And it's learned behaviors. Sometimes those behaviors are positive. Sometimes they're not. And sometimes it takes one strong person in a family to stand up against the fire and say no more. And you did that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is powerful. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's really lovely because my little brother, Solomon, who's just, he's in second year in Maynooth now. Hmm. It's just really nice, you know, that I've created that for him in terms of he can absolutely do this. He's not, deter- his future isn't determined by his circumstances. His future isn't determined by the fact that he lost his mum when he was eight or nine and had yeah. to grow up in care with a foster parent. It's not determined by that. It's determined by what he's seen his big sister do and what he wants to go on and do, you know? So mm. I'm I'm really happy that I'm, I'm creating that new environment for them. And even my son, like he wants to be a corporate lawyer, not just a lawyer, a corporate lawyer, Good on him. you know? So it's just, it's really, really positive to, to see that, that effect there. Yes. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Let's go back again. You're you're pregnant and you have Liam. And um, and I know you've mentioned, you know, the people in your life that were key to, you know, you continuing your education through all this. But obviously it's very hard to study in mind a small baby at the same time. So you did have elements of help. Um, so when I was in, so initially for the first three years um, after I had Liam, um, I lived in the care home. So they would actually give me like seven, eight hours of babysitting every week that I could choose to use however I wanted. A week. A week. Which is not a lot when you break it down per well, day. it was actually but... great. Because okay, good on like, you. So if he was up all night, he'd had his needles and I had school in the morning, right? I could actually, at 6am, could you please mind him for a couple of hours so I can just at least get two hours sleep, right? Before school. So those things, I know it's weird, but like you learn to live off two hours sleep with a new baby. Like that's just where you are. <laughs> or, you know, I'd say, right, I'm going to stay and do after school study. Could you please pick him up from the crash for me? Because I, I would have had to put him in crash straight away after he was three months old. And that would be an hour of babysitting, you know, so I could stay in, in school and, and keep studying. So they made a big difference. You know, it wasn't going out every weekend. That wasn't what I was using my babysitting for. It was sleep and study. Um, and yeah. so they massively helped me. And I suppose it just it, it also was good because I had to learn how to do that by myself. Because when I turned 18, the rules of being in care are you're out, right? You, you don't get that support anymore. So when I was living by myself, it was he he was in crash so I had to be very smart about my crash times right and how I utilized that in terms of um making sure I got to college early so I could study and then staying before as much as I could to study in the library before I got home had to cook dinner get him to bed everything get him showered or, or bathed and, and into bed and, and all of that in terms of nights out it was things like that that I actually because I really didn't like asking for help this is the, I don't like being dependent on people so it was never a case that like he was over in someone's house while I was studying or anything like that um unless it was his dad his dad played a really big role actually once I moved out which was which I'm very very thankful to him for so his dad would have taken him every second week weekend um for the weekend which was great because then I had the weekend to study or he'd take them at school holidays which usually fell around the same time as like reading week um in in college so again it was great because I'd actually get to study but aside from that um it would be my friends so we'd literally I'd literally be trying to figure out like who's not going out tonight (laughs) so that they could mind him if I was going to go on a night out but I did miss quite a lot of nights out I missed a lot of balls I missed the ski trip I didn't get to do all of that stuff but I don't not yet. Not yet. This is it. I keep saying I'm going on Liam's um leaving cert holiday with him <laughs> <laughs> in a few years. But you know, it's just but I don't I don't begrudge any of that because yeah. I love him so much. Like he changed my life. Like I loved spending time with him. He is he's an amazing child. So I was very thankful for the fact that I was getting to have an education while having a small child. So you just have to figure it out. You just have to go into autopilot and just and just juggle and figure it out. Definitely wasn't easy. Like I definitely doubted myself and and you know, sometimes would just be in floods of tears. And I had an incredible therapist, this woman called Cherie de Berg she was just like above and beyond like I could call her at 3am having a panic attack but the night before an exam she'd pick up the phone oh wow like she was just incredible and she'd also had her son when she was young and had a, a complicated relationship with one of her parents so she was incredible in relating to whatever I was going through especially after losing my mum and working through a lot of that guilt that I was carrying and um, she really helped me with that so yeah, it was people like that who who really, really supported me and really helped me from a mental perspective to keep going, even mm. though um, I doubted myself. 
Speaking of your mom, so through this time um, when you were in and out of care, did you see her? Yeah, sometimes I would see her for um, what are called access visits. um, And I suppose um, towards the end, so the the year my mom passed away, she'd had literally just a series of suicide attempts over and over and over again. and Liam was a new baby, so I'd be at school. Um, so she she was staying in actually in, in hostels, um, not direct provision hostels, like homeless hostels. So during the day, she generally had to leave. So she would actually come to my care home and look after Liam sometimes, like obviously with the social care workers there. She'd also cook Nigerian food for me and like freeze it and things like that. So I had like something familiar. So we were... So she was showing you love. So much. This yeah. is... We had a completely different relationship after I had my son. Um, and that's why it just hurts me so much that she didn't get to, to raise him more, I guess, or be around be around more um yeah what age what age was he when when she passed away um he would have been about one and a half at the time um and yeah it was it was really really tough because it's just you just imagine how much pain someone has to be in because she loved us so much like we were her life we'd been taken away well I was obviously in care already and I was under a full care order at that point but my siblings had never been like well they'd been taken into care once only for a few months previous to that right so they'd generally been safe she wasn't hitting them they were okay but after her first suicide attempt she they were taken into care because obviously there was nobody to look after them because she went up she would have been um, taken to hospital and then she didn't get them back and she would have gone into homeless hostels and everything just kind of really spiraled from there but I think it really hurt her that she didn't have her kids but it was really really difficult to just think of how much pain she must have been in that she thought this was the only thing and this was the right thing to do that she that leaving her kids was the right thing to do um that's that was really really tough to sit with because I just know how much she I just know how much she adored her kids and I just think how, how much pain she must have been in to have gotten to that point where she thought we were we were better off being alone without her um or just how much pain she was in that she 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 felt that she really she this was her only option to find peace so yeah um I really wish she that, that she'd gotten more of an opportunity to to know her her grandchildren and, and I wish I just wish she'd she'd gotten to see the things that I got to accomplish because she was really scared that my life was over after I had my son who wouldn't get to accomplish things and I just I wish she'd she'd hung on a little bit just longer to know things were going to be okay and my siblings really needed her really really needed her um I do think that she could have she could have gotten better and, and she would have gotten them back and I think that their lives would have been a lot different if she if she was there he really, really struggled, particularly my my um my brother who I'm an Irish twin with, like he was always really, really close. It's so funny actually. I mean my so me and my um youngest brother are very like my dad, literally to the point of like our nails are the same, very much the same skin tone, everything. Yeah. Um and then my middle brother and, and sister, um like same skin tone as my mom, have the same nails as my mom. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah. So they would have been the closest to my mom. Obviously, my baby brother adored her as well. Like, but you know, it was really, really tough for them to lose her because they they had all been really, really close for a long time. And 
to a certain extent, they kind of, they kind of, it wasn't just me that put, put, had carried a lot of guilt. They also um, kind of blamed me for, for maybe making things harder for my mom. So that was quite tough as well um, to work through because it wasn't just me blaming myself. It was, oh. it was them too. So that was tough. That was absolutely tough. Um, and it's just really hard because I, I try and get them to understand like there was no other option. Like I wasn't safe living there. It wasn't something that I did consciously to to create any any hassle, but they would have known how bad things were for me. They they saw it, but to to a certain extent, they still they still think, yeah, I don't know. I could have stayed. I'm not a therapist, so I'm not I'm not qualified to to comment. But I suppose sometimes it's easier just to point the finger and say that that's you know this person or this situation is the cause of that pain, um, rather than actually having a more a kind of a fuller view of it, which is that maybe no one was to blame. And this was just somebody who was very troubled, who perhaps didn't get the help they needed. Um, but when people are in pain, they 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 do things that are sometimes not right. Um, and it's not excusing it. But, you know, I suppose you've probably worked through a lot of that in therapy and fully understand that you, know, you weren't at fault and you weren't to blame. Um, so you're you're a young mother and you're trying to you're trying to okay so you're trying to keep the education going you're trying to raise your son and you're grieving the death of your mother yeah that's an awful lot to deal with well I had my leaving cert I really don't think that especially initially I was sad for a little bit but then I just was like you know what I'm just going to focus on being busy and to the extent that like I really don't think that I I grieved properly after I lost my mum so this really funny thing happened when I was actually years later when I was doing my um accounting exams um you get like huge amounts of study leave and when I'd go for these big long walks to clear my head I'd just start sobbing okay um because I'd start thinking about my mum yeah and it was like for it was like the first time I was actually sitting still because I'd, I was always go, go, go. And I'd never had, I think you get like three months of study leave. Right. So I'd never had that much time to, to stay still. College, you get like two weeks tops before exams. So I was always go, go, go. And I don't know. It was just my first chance to really sit still. And I don't know. It just it just really hit me. So. Yeah, it was it was I think I, I very much used being busy with mm. studying as a bit of a um or or work as a bit of a safe haven um especially initially but I had to work through that and I had to and as you said it was the autopilot it's just to keep on going and kind of put things in boxes and shut down your emotions just to survive exactly and your priority I suppose was now this small baby that needed your attention yeah because nobody else is going to provide that life for him like his his dad's great but he was never going to be the primary breadwinner you know um and that was very clear to me that if I wanted to give him the best of everything that would need to be me Hmm. um that was providing that so I had to I had this human being that was depending on me and I had to I had to make sure he was okay so that was 100% my priority we've touched on a lot of the the dark the the difficult and the the traumatic um you know 
relationship that you had with your mother. What's your what are the memories that stand out that are good that you have of her? Which one like comes to mind when you think of a of a of a moment between you guys? Um because you spoke about the her coming around and showing love by making Nigerian food and providing and helping for you that way and and being your voice helping you when it came to choice to breastfeed or to bottle feed. Did she struggle to tell you how she felt? I don't think that she because I don't think that she struggled to show that emotion to my siblings. Um I remember a few years ago like actually asking my granny like did my mom hate me? Um I know we got really close towards the end, but I'm just, I just, it was growing up initially. I just, she was so caring and compassionate to my siblings. You know, they had a completely different relationship than I would have had with my mom. And I just didn't understand why. Um, so I think initially that was how I felt, but us being able to hurt her then looking after me and coming over and making food and, and sticking up for me with my dad and trying to, trying to care for Liam um those are those are the happy memories and there's little things it wasn't all horrible you know there were little things where I remember one day coming home from school and um I'd been I was the first person in my class to wear a bra and when we were in primary school and people had been making fun of my name and saying the bra so like right um and I told my mom and she was like tell them to look at your mom your mom has big boobs it's not your fault you know mm. so like little things like that and you know her teaching me to put on gold makeup which I still wear to this day like gold eyeshadow um so there's little things like that where where we did have um moments that we were we were happy but generally I I I felt like I I wasn't wanted um before before I would have before I would have and even after I had Liam you know I very much I don't know maybe the pessimistic side of me understand that um I think a lot of the reason she was supportive of me getting pregnant um initially she was really mad at me she wouldn't let me talk to my siblings like was really really upset with me but it was like once she found out that Liam's dad was Irish there was a complete 180 and now you understand that it's because there's different rules for children who are born here. If one of their parents are Irish, they're automatically entitled to citizenship as opposed to the situation. They were kind of in a limbo for a number of years that right. improved her chances of being able to be able to stay. Okay. So the pessimistic side of me is kind of going, right. Is that why we got to have a really good relationship? I don't think it's why she would have done all the things that she did. I think it was, there is a genuine part of that in terms of us getting closer, but it's it's just a really weird one. Um, in therapy, what have you unraveled? Uh, what where where are you at with it now in terms of um, what you think? I think that we were very similar. Okay. And I think that she had a perception of what I should be like based on what she was like as a child. And I, I talk about that in the book. She's very, um, she was a good girl, you know, she did what her mum told her um, all the time, as opposed to when I moved here, I'd had like a really sheltered upbringing, um, like Sunday school all the time. All our books were Bible books. I wasn't allowed to watch Sabrina the Teenage Witch, like because it was uh, witches. So very, very sheltered. So when I moved over here, it was very much pushing the boundaries. You know, um, I was very much 
rebelling and I, I completely own up to that and I think and even beforehand you know even within that sheltered upbringing I, I still tried to I don't know somehow speak for myself not to the same extent definitely but you know she'd say eat cornflakes and I'd be like no I really want rice krispies as opposed to my siblings would just eat the cornflakes you know so there were, and that would be one thing I would like that's one argument I remember us getting into where she completely lost it before breakfast and just really beat the shit out of me and my dad had to come and step in and this is all before school over cereal over cereal right so it's like okay. little things like that of, of being stubborn and when I say it was being similar I think my, while my mum wouldn't have treated her mum that way I think from a she is she was stubborn she did she did have she wouldn't have moved here if she didn't have this wanting to do things differently than just staying in a marriage that she was unhappy in you know that and why did she choose Ireland I've absolutely no idea okay couldn't tell you for all the money in the world yeah um she never shared that with me and I didn't even to be completely honest even though I'd lived in England I was born in England i I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't really know much about Ireland, you know, so. Yeah. We didn't even talk about that. Yeah, you were born in London. Yeah, so. Uh, so you moved around a fair bit, really. Yeah, we were like, to the extent that I was born in um, London, my brother is born in Nigeria, then my sister was born in London. So we yeah. were just constantly moving between the two countries, which was also a really interesting thing for me growing up because I was never like fully immersed in Nigerian culture. So I couldn't like, most places, most people I interacted with spoke English, but obviously there is also a language there and um, yeah, there's different yeah. languages and different tribes. So I don't know how to speak Yoruba. Um, okay. And it was always this thing of um, you're kind of different because you don't properly speak those um, those languages. And, so did and you feel like, like you didn't fit in anywhere? Really, yeah. But definitely felt more that I fit in Um I think I definitely felt more that I fit in when I was with people who at least look like me, you know? Okay. Um, and I think here it was a different experience because when we first moved to Nace, there was no, there was not really many black families in Nace. Yeah. Um, and certainly there was no other black kids in my class. So it was, it was an interesting one, not only for me, but for the kids there as well, because this was one of their first times interacting with someone that was a person of color. So they would make fun of things like how big my lips were and things like that, which again, is just a characteristic of being a black woman. And for years I hated that. I would actually like suck in my lips to try and make them look smaller. So it's like, as I've grown up and as I've gone to therapy that I've learned to unwind those things and I've learned to embrace who I am. Um, But it's, it's little things. Like I remember we would be, you know, hanging out and someone would be saying, this was at the time when everything was like, mm. don't like immigrants, they're coming over here and stealing our jobs and blah, blah, blah. So my friends were picking this up probably from the kitchen table or whatever and, and saying it. And then they'd turn around and be like, oh shit, Debbie, I didn't realize you were there. Um, we don't mean you. Oh. It's about the other people, you know? So then this thing came in my head of like, I need to make sure I do as much as possible to not make them dislike me, to want to be liked to the extent that I very much... Were people pleasing? Absolutely. And as much as possible, try to disassociate myself from things that were stereotypically black, you know, Um, and didn't even very much shied away from even having black friends because it was like if I'm with black people it becomes even more heightened in my that I'm black I don't know in my head that made sense um, and even talking to my friends who've also grown up here and grown up in different parts of, of Ireland they weirdly had the same feeling and experience right. um, and 
it's beautiful to see things there like black and Irish where you're embracing both sides of your culture but it just wasn't like that when we were initially growing up it wasn't it, it just felt like something that would make you more alienated and more different and make you not want to have friends and and that was very much my experience initially when I moved here because I didn't realize that difference was a bad thing so I didn't really have friends initially when I moved to Nice and it isn't a bad thing but I suppose it was yeah it was yeah in my head it's changed but I would imagine it still has a long way to go I think things are definitely a lot better but even my son Liam was getting bullied um in school when he was in fourth class and I like to the extent that the school this kid had said the n-word a couple times and the teacher called me up and was like yeah this is offensive to you and i'm like this should be offensive to To, you to to, uh, to everyone so they weren't didn't deal with it properly and i just took him out of the school and i put him in an international school and he's been so settled because it was really impacting his own sense of self worth his how he saw himself as he was growing up and becoming more self-aware and to the extent that like he'd always had this really cool like fresh prince of bel-air haircut and he was like no i just want it normal okay so it was really really affecting him and i didn't want that from i didn't want him to go through what i'd gone through right yeah, i didn't yeah, want him yeah, to yeah. like think of himself i wanted him to grow up and, and embrace who he was and since he's been in international school he's a completely different child he's so happy like he's so settled and he's so okay with being different to the extent that he did a whole project about like nigeria and the history of nigeria and everything so and it was like begging me to make jollof rice which is like a traditional nigerian um, meal to bring into school so it's just a, 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 that's what i want for him him. that's what I want for him is to grow up in that environment where he feels included yes. um, and own his his heritage absolutely owns who he is yeah um so if I was to ask you who who like who are you like wh- what would you describe yourself as now oh god um I would say that I'm someone who is a mother first very much so um, trying to make sure that my teenage son um, comes out something like Ryan Gosling in the book <laughs> and is, is a really lovely, lovely, lovely young yeah. man. Um, Love that. I'm very ambitious from a career perspective. I think that's just a drive that is that is in me because I feel like I really, I don't know, I just really want to succeed. Um, so I very much, my priorities are work and Liam, Liam first, but work next. Um, my friends are very important to me. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. I think, I think I'm just, I, at the moment, I'm just trying to, to live my life and trying to do things that make me happy and, and, and trying to do things that move me forward. And I hope that it all leads to me having the level of success that I hope that I have in my career. Um, having an amazing child that I'm proud of um, who treats people with kindness and empathy, which she does, which I love. I just want him to keep that. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to be a really good sister to my siblings and be there for them as much as they need me and, and similarly for my friends. And especially with the charity, like that's a really big thing for me is is creating something where other people can go on to university and, and have the the things that would stop them if they had if they if they didn't have as little money as they did 
trying to get those things removed out of their way, those barriers removed out of the way around accommodation and, and childcare. And it's it's really interesting that we've obviously had that cost of living um, mm. protest over the weekend because what you heard resoundingly from students, even without children, is that it's difficult for them to find accommodation. So it's it's trying to give back in some way. Um, yeah. Sorry. Let's talk about it now because we actually haven't mentioned it yet. Your charity is Empower the Family. And just to mention as well that in 2020, you were listed on the Forbes 30 under 30 in Europe, making your nonprofit the only Irish female-led establishment to be featured that year. That's huge. Thank you. Well done. Thank Massive you. congratulations. I mean, what you have done so far in terms of, of succeeding in education and your career and what you're doing, but also with this, that is a, such a passion project for you. So just explain to people as well what, you, what your ultimate aim is, because as you said, we're hearing about it all the time. You know, people are struggling to do the weekly shop to make sure that their kids have breakfast in the morning before they go out to school. People are not able to go. Uh, they're staying and they're commuting like they're, they're living at home with their folks and they're commuting to college. They're doing things that are really in this day and age shouldn't be happening. It's outrageous. But you're doing something and your aim is to really, really help where it matters. Absolutely. So the whole vision is essentially to provide housing specifically for single parents and young people coming out of state care who generally have issues either progressing to university or staying in university because of a lack of accommodation and a lack of childcare, right? We want to fundamentally provide that sort of housing for anyone that can't afford to go to university, specifically for people on access programs, right? But we, we're trying to do that prioritization based on the people who are most at risk of homelessness, which are single parents and um, uh, young people coming out of state care. So that's how that prioritization has worked. So we've been working with Dublin City Council to acquire a site in Ballymun. So we have to do a presentation to the councillors now to hopefully, hopefully they'll vote to dispose the site to us. We've done a huge amount of work on the site in terms of architects and due diligence. And we actually have a treaty model already um, of, of what the site would look like. And it is 20 apartments for single moms. They're two bedrooms each. I've even designed them in terms of, because I was always cautious that when I was studying for exams, I was worried I was going to be done for child endangerment just because Liam was in the sitting room and I was in the kitchen and I couldn't always see him, you know, when I was yeah, studying. Yeah, yeah. So I was always, it's just something I was always worried about. I'm like, I hope he's okay. He was always okay, of sure, course. Sure. But, and it was obviously when he was at an age where it was okay to, to leave him on his own, but still it was just things like that in terms of how I designed the space so that you can be studying and still be able to keep an eye on your kid um, and you're and you're happy enough in that. So that's um, 20 of those apartments and then 14 one bedroom apartments, which will specifically be for young people coming out of state care. And if we don't, if for some crazy reason, there aren't enough students in college that meet those two categories, then we just get offer it to other people who are on access programs okay. who can't afford university. Yeah. So they won't go to waste and there'll also be a crash there. Um, again, really easy for single moms, drop your kids a crash, go off to college, you know, have that sorted out and make sure that it's affordable, right? And it, and in their locality. And then the other thing being a community center. So we want to obviously give something back to the community as well. So there is a organization called Young Ballymun that are based in the access center right now, and they want to expand their services, but there's nowhere else for them to go. There isn't another access center. They can't build an additional area to the access center. So they'll you. actually be relocating into our building. We'll have a purpose-built space for them. And that means they'll be able to uh, provide childhood-based um, uh, 
initiatives to people in the community and then in the evenings what we would love to do as well is partner with um, one of the community development projects uh, to actually off expand their homework club services because particularly for a lot of kids in in areas like that those homework clubs are the only chance they might get mm. to get a proper hot meal right so we very much things like that are just things that are around positive association with education for children as young as possible is very much the aim of that development and making a difference for generations to come because we say we're not only making a difference in a single parent's life by pr- removing the barriers um, to education for them we're making a difference in a child's life by putting them in an environment with a positive association with education from a young age which again research shows has mm. a big difference particularly for people who come from disadvantaged backgrounds in their later educational attainment but then we're also making a difference in the community by creating role models with those single parents and children we're creating role models for other people Mm. to go to college and say yeah actually i know sarah from down the road she's now doing really well for herself that's actually an option for me not going off and doing a plc course not going off and and because that's easier there's nothing wrong with that but it's just to be able to see that you could actually have a much higher income and a much higher better way of life if you're able to go to college so where people are able for that where people are determined to do that we should absolutely try and support them um to to go on and, and do that because at the end of the day they're they're much better off in terms of standing on their own two feet um in the long run especially with the way that things are right now when you were a 13-year-old girl, if you could have had a glimpse into the future of the, you know, 29-year-old you sitting here having a conversation after releasing your own book, books actually, because it's not just this one, but it's the children's book that you've written as well. Um, would it have blown your mind? Um, yes. Very, very surreal. But there's also this really weird thing um, that I used to tell myself whenever things got really really bad when I was like really 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 upset and um didn't understand what was happening I just say like I just comfort myself by saying this is just another chapter in my book (laughs) wow so it's it's a really like and I didn't even go seeking to write this book like Gil rang me you know it wasn't something I was seeking to it wasn't something I planned to do but it was just something that I comforted myself in saying this is just another chapter you know to just try and get myself to move forward and realize whatever had happened didn't need to determine the rest of my life didn't determine how I reacted I could think about how I would figure out a way out of whatever I was dealing with at the time and and an example of that would be you know going to college and at the time, you weren't allowed to um, get rent allowance if you were a single yeah. mom and, and you were in college. So I was told to go and sit on the dole essentially for five years before I could, three to five years before I could actually go to um, university. My problem was I'd stayed in school, quote unquote, from the, from the, the um, social welfare officer I'd went to see. So I had to really fight for funding through TUSLA then to be able to have rent and have childcare. And initially, you know, that's it's really really hard to to get additional funding for things like that and at the time the aftercare i suppose legislation was very much could support but like wasn't didn't really put a, a statutory obligation on on um on Tuesday to support kids in care which it does now which is mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. um so i had to ring up 
um, teen parent support program, the one family counseling people, Focus Ireland again. I literally put together like team of lobbyists to like write letters to the CEOs of the of the organization to beg for that funding for me. And that was how I was able to do that. And I was 17, but I, I knew I had to do that, you know? So it's just little things like that where it seemed like hopeless that I wasn't, I was doing all of this work for leaving so to go to college and I'm not even going to get to go to college. I'm not going to be able to afford to go to college, but you kind of just have to figure out a way to, cry about it and then go right what am I going to do about it how am I going to move on that was just one chapter I'm going to move on to the next one and, and try and make it more positive yeah you're incredible would you ever go into politics absolutely not oh you didn't, you didn't, even, you didn't even have to think about that but you just seem to me like a like you know already why <laughs> why not no interest um definitely have an interest I just think and I think it's a lot of the things that we hear obviously about it being really hard for women and, and really difficult and especially for you know women of color you know I've definitely seen things that happen to people like Ellie Kasumbe who mm. I was devastated by right and then um Hazel Chu get so much yeah, abuse and she's yeah. incredible so it's things like that that obviously yeah, do you want to be putting yourself up for that I why suppose. would you do that yeah, you know? I, get, I, get, so. I get the point um so is it 11 years you're in your house yes yeah and you still have some boxes to unpack yeah will you will you eventually unpack them do you think uh yeah I will I'm slowly in the last couple of years we have been and we've actually started like kind of redecorating and stuff as well just trying to make it our own because obviously at that at this point we I, I'm it's kind of settling in that I'm going to be there for for now anyways hopefully um but yeah so I feel really settled there the thing is when I I remember when I actually uh, was moving out I would have gone on one of the mommy blogs and was like oh looking for recommendations of a crash and blah 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 and someone recommended the crash in my area which was pretty far away from where I lived at the time but I was like again best thing for Liam so I would actually the the area was in Clon Griffin and um, well nor- Northern Cross I was obviously going to college in DCU and I lived in Drumcondra so I'd have to get a bus like two buses to get him from oh, Drumcondra wow. to crash and okay. then get to another two buses to get to college but it was the best thing for him and I remember waiting for the bus one day and looking at the estate and thinking oh god I wish I could get a house there like one day I really really hope to be able to move in there and um, but I based on my price bracket at the time I knew I'd probably only be able to get like a, a small apartment but weirdly enough it was around the time of the recession so one actually came up in my price bracket and literally gave her the deposit like on oh, the spot brilliant. when I went to the viewing so being able to give Liam this like nice childhood like when we moved in the kids all put like little notes like welcome to the estate Liam in our post box it was really really cute so it's really nice to be able to grow up in an environment like that for him just really stable and a nice environment like that so yeah I'm very settled there I'm very happy there but it's just my own internal thing of like going you could still just have to move at short notice I don't know um that that prevented me from unpacking for 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 a long while I, I guess but yeah we are, we are getting there <laughs> those boxes are, are slowly uh, the remaining boxes are slowly getting getting unpacked and I'll find things like oh this is really lovely from years ago um, yeah yeah. it's an overused term but it's one that really really suits you you are a true inspiration you're a gorgeous human being inside and out um, it's been an absolute joy to meet you in person um, your story is incredible what you have been through and how you have how you have excelled when everything was going against you at different points in your life this book is beautiful it's called believing in me it's really important thank you for taking time to be here today to have this 
really powerful conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. The amazing Debbie Somerin. Next week, I chat to Cork powerhouse Lyra. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends, family or social media. And you can support what I do in all the usual ways by clicking follow, giving a rating or leaving a little comment. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Ready To Be Real. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.